For Arizona Public Media, I'm Tim Swindle, director of the University of Arizona's Lunar and Planetary Laboratory, and this is Arizona Science. Joining me today is George Rieke, a Regents Professor of Astronomy at the University of Arizona and an expert in infrared astronomy. Welcome, George. Thanks, Tim. George, you say that infrared astronomy really got started at the U of A, but it could have happened a lot earlier. When could it have actually got going? Well, infrared astronomy is more than 100 years old, and it really got going in a big way on Mount Wilson in the 1920s. And what's amazing is people did fantastically good work. They published papers, and then it just disappeared. It frittered away, and there was no follow-up. Any idea why it disappeared? It was because it was being done by just two guys working together. They published papers, and nobody showed any interest. And imitation is not the sincerest form of flattery. It's competition. They had no competition, so nobody gave a damn about their results. Why is infrared astronomy important? Why should people have cared? Well, it's the most interesting part of astronomy. (laughs) For years, astronomy worked in the visible, which is dominated by just normal stars. And in the 1950s and 60s, astronomy branched out into radio, infrared, x-ray. Most of the new regions had incredible surprises of completely different kinds of sources, new phenomena, new things to discover. And infrared astronomy, as just as much as any of the others, was just a really exciting field. What are the kinds of things that you can see in the infrared that you don't see in the visible? Well, like planets. Many things are so buried in dust that no light gets out. The dust absorbs all the light and emits it in the infrared. Examples are young stars, big star formation regions in galaxies, many galaxies. The dominant luminosity energy comes out in the infrared. Black holes accreting material often are much brighter in the infrared than other regions. Then how did infrared astronomy get started at U of A? You were a part of that, right? Well, I came in close to the beginning, but not quite. The key is the Lunar and Planetary Lab hired Gerard Kuiper. He was the founder of that laboratory. And Gerard had gotten interested in the infrared to study planets but he also attracted two other really eminent scientists, Harold Johnson and Frank Lowe, and the three of them were just very dominant creative characters, and infrared groups sprang up at Caltech, Cornell, and Minnesota. So suddenly we did have competition as the sincerest form of flattery, and it was competition within Gerard's lab and outside, and so the field took off starting in the mid-60s. I came in in 1970. The capability in the field has doubled every 10 months since then up to the present. You think your computer has gotten better rapidly with time. What we can do in the infrared has just totally outstripped that. So it was the most fantastic career I could imagine. What was it that led to the rapid technological advances? Well, we started with individual detectors. Frank Lowe came in because he had invented a barometer that was very sensitive. But not too long after that, infrared detector arrays started to come on online. They were mostly developed by the military. In fact, you see pictures of sometimes of missiles going into some site in Iraq or who knows where. That's usually an infrared array that's showing you that. 
And astronomers were able to leverage out off that and get the people that made these arrays to make them better and better and more suited for astronomy. Infrared is a little bit hard to observe from the ground because you have a hard time seeing through the water in the air. So it started, I guess, on the mountaintops and then has moved up from there? It's not just the water. It's that the telescope is glowing really bright in the infrared. I mean, infrared is what human beings and everything around us emits profusely. I liken it to trying to, infrared astronomy, to try and detect a match in a blast furnace. There's all this background, but it's also variable because of the atmosphere. And to get rid of that, you have to go into space. And then if you can make your telescope cold and get rid of the emission of the telescope, as well as the fluctuating emission from the atmosphere, you get incredible gains in sensitivity. The background goes down by about a factor of 10 million, and so you can get 1,000, 3,000, 10,000 times the sensitivity you can get with the same equipment on the ground. This is Tim Swindle, and this has been Arizona Science. You can also listen to this and other Arizona Science segments by going to the Arizona Public Media website at azpm.org.